Hey, welcome to Plant Yourself. I'm your host, Howard Jacobson. Two quick announcements before we get to today's show. If you're interested in becoming a health coach, I'm offering another run due to popular demand for people who can't make 8 p.m. on Wednesday nights, Eastern Time. So we're doing another run of the program, which will meet the practicums will meet at 10 a.m. on Wednesdays, Eastern Time U.S., which means if you're in Europe or Africa, uh, that might be good for you. Also, if you're in the US and evenings aren't good and you have free time in the mornings, either 7 a.m. Uh, Pacific time or 10 to 1130 Eastern, then you can participate. If you want to find out more about becoming a wicked effective health coach, you can go to wellstartcoach.com. Second thing is, if you're not aware of it, Josh Lajani and I have a book that is free on Amazon Kindle. It's called Sick to Fit. And if you just go to Amazon and search for Sick to Fit, you'll be able to download it for free and read it on any Kindle enabled device, even a phone, smartphone, tablet, computer, whatever. All right, let's get to today's episode. This is the Plant Yourself podcast. I'm Howard Jacobson of plantyourself.com and wellstarthealth.com. This podcast is part of my mission to help you live a simple and successful life. So when people want to improve their health, lose weight, and they discover the benefits of a plant-based life, the thing I hear more than anything else is, okay, well, what do I eat now? I need recipes. I don't know how to cook this way. I'm so confused. There's so many options, so many choices, so much new to learn. What do I do? A lot of people are worried about their food bills going up. They're worried about not having time to prep everything, about the difficulties of having to make different meals for themselves and other family members. And I get it. When I began my transitions, I was exactly there. That's why it's so nice to have a conversation today with Andrew Taylor. You may know Andrew. He's uh, made quite a splash based on his decision several years ago to eat nothing but potatoes for an entire year. Now, to be perfectly accurate, he allowed himself some condiments, but basically his only source of calories were spuds. White potatoes, red potatoes, I don't know, he probably had some purple potatoes in there too. And he stuck with it for an entire year because he needed to. He was about 300 pounds, he was diabetic, and he understood instinctually that a simple approach would be the easiest one to follow. No decisions to make, no new skills to learn, simply waking up every morning and adhering to what could seem like an extremely dull protocol, got him to his ideal weight, got him off his meds, got his life turned around, and got him a cute new nickname, SpudFit. So despite the clickbaity nature of his stunt, Andrew really didn't do this for attention. He didn't do it for media access. He didn't do it to send a message or to teach anyone else. He did it because it was just the simplest way he could think of to make these changes that were so important to him. And all the fame, all the notoriety, all the media access came later, and he really wasn't seeking it at all. So while we talk about potatoes in this episode, the conversation really is about Andrew's trajectory and about your trajectory, about what you can do the little and big steps that you can take according to the principles of simplicity and focus to give yourself a better life. 
Before we get there, two quick announcements. First one, I front load this announcement every two months or so, and so now's the time. I would love it if you love this show that you would become a supporter of it. And two big ways to do that. One is simple and free and takes about three minutes, which is to go to Apple Podcasts and leave a review and some stars. That really helps us get raised up in the Apple Podcast search rankings and allows other people to discover the show without having to look too hard. The second thing you can do is become a financial supporter of the show. And you can just go to plantyourself.com and look on the right sidebar for the Patreon link. And you can pledge a monthly ongoing amount. As little as a dollar a month really helps. It allows me to spend time on this show in a way that feels responsible to my family, responsible to my career, responsible to Wellstart Health. You'll notice that I've chosen to accept no advertising for this podcast, which is fairly unusual for a podcast of this size. And it's not because I'm pure or have some higher ethics. It's just I would rather spend the time asking you than going around to companies and, and doing all that stuff. It's just, a, it's just a personal preference, but it means that I do need to reach out to you for help because I am not independently wealthy and I do have to make money every single month to stay in my house and keep my family in uh, potatoes. Second announcement, we're going to be starting another cohort of Wellstart Health Coach Training to become a plant-based health coach. If you want to find out more about that, just go to wellstartcoach.com, read about it, and give us your email, and we'll let you know when we have the details. All right, are you ready to visit Spudland with me today? Let's do it. So without further ado. Hey, Andrew, SpudFit Taylor, welcome to the Plant Yourself Podcast. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, it's, a, it's, an actual, it's a real honor to be, uh, to be on here, and I've, I've been on a few podcasts now, but only a couple uh, that I was already a fan of before I was on them. So, uh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> well, we've been we've been uh, planning this for a long time. So um, let's 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 get into it. Um, so you're 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 tell us why uh, you're called Spudfit first of all for folks who, <laughs> who don't know you and your story yet. Yeah, I guess there's a few people that haven't heard of me. Uh, a couple of years ago in uh, in 2016. I ate only potatoes for the entire year, um, and it was it was my attempt at dealing with food addiction by by using sort of the abstinence model, and uh, and yeah, that went viral all around the world and uh, created quite a stir, and uh, which was totally unexpected for me. But uh, yeah, that that effort to change the psychology behind my relationship with food resulted in me losing quite a lot of weight and and changing my health and. Uh, yeah, dealing with depression and anxiety and all sorts of things. So it's sort of, uh, it's become what I do now. <laughs> Which, what, eating potatoes? No, no. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, uh, I should have been more clear there. No, uh, I've sort of, it's, it's organically uh, developed into a business where I help other people to deal with their own food addictions as well. And, uh, and I've got a couple of books and, uh, yeah, that's, that's the way my life has gone in the last couple of years. Gotcha. So can we can we go way back before you became famous as the potato guy? Um, how, what was your relation? You mentioned food addiction a couple of times. What was your relationship with food growing up and when did it become problematic? Uh, yeah, I, I think I've always been a uh, food addict I, for as long as I can remember. I've always been um, 
yeah, eating too much junk and um, struggling to, you know, I had no off switch. I couldn't, I couldn't uh, just eat one chocolate chip cookie, you know. I, I could <laughs> never do that. I've never been able to. And, uh, you know, right back to my, my years as a teenager, I was an elite athlete, uh, a marathon kayaker. And I was, uh, you know, I was one of the top handful of people in Australia as an elite junior kayaker and training between four and six hours a day. And even then, I was always a little bit overweight. Um, you know, they say, they say you can't unrun, outrun a bad diet, and that was true for me. I was always five to ten kilos overweight. And, uh, and really, I think that was probably the difference between me being one of the best in Australia and perhaps being one of the best in the world and possibly even ending up as, a, as an Olympian if I could have dealt with that last five to 10 kilos, which is, you know, 10 to 20 pounds. So, um, yeah, it's always been an issue for me that I just, you know, that there was no such thing as one slice of pizza with me. It just never happened. <laughs> did, did anyone talk to you about it, like a coach? Because I know when you're sort of 10 to 20 pounds overweight, it's very easy to dress to hide that. If you're, yeah. you know, if you're muscular, people, well, he's just, you know, he's just big and stocky. Did any coaches or talent scouts or anyone like confront you with those 10 to 20 pounds? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. It was a big effort, and uh, and I was part of the Institute of Sport here. So, uh, yeah, I had specialist coaches, I had dietitians, um, and yeah, from from a, a you know general uh, public kind of point of view, like you said, it was easy to dress to uh, to hide those pounds. I was a big, strong guy, as uh, you know, marathon runners are generally quite quite thin people but a marathon kayaker needs a bit of upper body bulk to be able to uh to move the kayak and uh so I was a big strong guy and um and yeah but but as an elite athlete uh yeah it was obvious to the people that I was training with and the coaches and that that I was overweight and I did that I did I had all the resources available to me and all the well what I thought at the time was the right advice and uh yeah I was I could lose five kilos and put it back on. And that was pretty much the way my life went. Mm -hmm. So was that something you were always thinking about? Like, what's the next diet? What do I have to do? Or Yeah, yeah. For, I, I've tried probably like most people who get to the point where they're morbidly obese. I, I tried every diet you could think of. And, um, and yeah, it was always the same story. I, was, I was, had pretty strong willpower as, um, as a... Well, I thought I had pretty strong willpower anyway, and uh, and I was pretty good at sticking to a diet for you know a month and losing a little bit of weight and then putting it back on again. You know, I would I'd always uh, I'd always celebrate that little bit of success with you know a slice of pizza or a cookie or something, <laughs> which is and uh, yeah, that was you know I'd say I'd tell myself I've done a really good job for this last few weeks, so I deserve this little treat or whatever, and. Uh, yeah, sure enough, that always led to the weight gain, and it took me a long time before I put two and two together and realized that, yeah, perhaps uh, I shouldn't celebrate weight loss with the things that caused the weight gain in the first place. <laughs> All right. All right. So, but if you talk about like training four to six hours a day and being an elite athlete, did was there nowhere in your mind where you connected the food as part of your training? You know what I mean? Like no, yeah, no, I just not really. I, I guess I knew it, that I needed to eat differently or something, but 
but really in my mind it was um I guess you know I was only a teenager I was 15 16 years old at this point so um I didn't have the same life experience and I was uh just mm. sort of blindly trusting uh what people were telling me rather than trying to figure things out for myself and um so I I looked at the situation and saw I'm I'm trying what the dietitian's saying I'm doing what they're saying and um you know, I'm losing a little bit of weight and then I just can't maintain it. And, uh, yeah, it was, uh, I guess probably the overriding feeling was that I've just, I've got bad genetics and I'm stuck with that. And, and, um, you know, there's not much I can do about it and it's a shame and I wish I could do it, but, but yeah, these, these diets are not working for me. So yeah, bad luck. (laughs) So when, when did you stop, uh, kayaking competitively and what happened then? Yeah, that was at the end of my, my years as a junior. So once the junior kayaking is uh, up to 18 years old. So when I went out of the junior age group, I, I turned 19 and I was racing against men. And, uh, and really the, the, uh, the change there was what did it for me because I was, I was uh, if, as a junior, I was, if not winning races, I was, uh, I was in the top few. So I would often win races, but if I didn't, I'd be second or third, and I'd be really competitive with the top guys. But when I stepped up to the uh, to the open age group, then uh, yeah, things got a little bit different because then I was racing against elite men, and they were much faster than the, than the juniors, and uh, and it got to the point where um, I wasn't competitive anymore. So yeah, I, I could still do the same amount of training. I was putting in every last ounce of effort I had into my training. And, and I just I couldn't get up with the, with the top few guys anymore, and I wasn't competitive with them. And um, and yeah, that really just uh, yeah, it was it was demoralising, I guess. And I never actually stopped kayaking, but I I just got to the point where the the return for my effort wasn't coming, and so I just I, I gradually just things petered out, and I stopped racing. Hmm. Looking back now. Do you think you could have been competitive in the open division? Had you done things differently or was there just too, too great a difference? No, yeah, I, I definitely think I'm, I, there's no way to know if I would have won uh, races in the senior age group or um, anything like that. But, yeah, I definitely think, yeah, without that extra you know, 10 to 20 pounds, uh, I definitely think I would have at least been finishing with the top guys, you know. Kayaking sort of works a little bit like cycling. If you've ever watched cycling racing, where the the cyclists can uh, sort of draft behind each other, and um, kayaks create a little uh, a very small wave, and you can in a it's called wash riding, but it's a little bit like surfing. You can surf this little wave, and it helps you in a similar way to kayaking. So um, yeah, the the effect that has is that the races tend to happen in bunches, like like cycle races happen in bunches, and uh, and yeah, I, I think, I feel like if I was, if I didn't have that extra weight, then I would have been finishing in the, with at least with the front group, if not winning the races. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So the way you describe your diet while you were working out sounds pretty horrific and, but, but it wasn't, it wasn't causing that much damage, uh, at least visibly, but I get, I'm guessing once you stopped competing or once that petered out, that's when you got gained all the weight? Yeah, well, it sort of came on gradually. So when I stopped competing, I was still very interested in, in fitness and I still loved being super active. So, um, 
yeah, I went from training four to six hours a day to training two hours a day. It's not like I just totally stopped. Okay. And, um, and yeah, and I, and I still, like I was motivated to eat well, or at least what I thought was eating, eating well, but, uh, but that was sort of punctuated with binges and, um, yeah, just, uh, eating too much bad stuff in between trying to eat lots of good stuff as well. And, uh, and yeah, so the, the weight gain sort of, you know, in that first couple of years, I went from being five to 10 kilos overweight to being say 15 to 20 kilos overweight. And, uh, and still that's like, so what would that be? 30 to 40 pounds, which is overweight obviously, but still like you don't at 30 to 40 pounds overweight, you don't look like a big fat man, especially when you're my size, like I'm six foot five. So you know, the weight is, uh, is spread out over my body a little bit more than if I was only, you know, five foot five. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So I, at that point, I was a little bit overweight, but still looked like, you know, a big, strong, fit man that I was compared to the average person, I guess. Yeah. But for me, the weight really came on when, um, when my first boy was born and he's, uh, he's five years old now. And, uh, yeah, he was a really, really bad sleeper in the beginning. And for the first, for, let's, I know most babies are bad sleepers, but this was an extreme example. He was waking up every 45 minutes for the whole night for, uh, for the first 18 months of his life. <sighs> and, uh, yeah, that was, that was hard work. I was, I was surviving on two to three hours of sleep each night. And, uh, and with that, the motivation to train hard, um, was basically just gone i didn't i didn't have anything left in me to put into any training and with with uh with no training happening then what little motivation i did have to to eat well was also gone like you know if i i was i was doing a little bit of uh bike racing at that point just just fun local bike racing and um and yeah since i couldn't train to uh to race anymore then i was like well what's the point in trying to eat a salad you know so <laughs> that went out the window as well and then yeah the weight just piled on over that first couple of years wow and it's also when you're cranky and tired it's really hard to make good decisions in general yeah yeah it's hard to make good decisions when yeah like you said when you're cranky and tired and and also um you know there's this false belief that you know i'm feeling like shit here and uh things are not working well and um maybe this cookie will make me feel better yeah <laughs> you know and it definitely and does so, right yeah well it does yeah and that that sort of instant gratification sort of uh you know in the moment it, it does make you feel better it's cookies are fun to eat let's not kid ourselves and uh and they they do make you feel better but you know as a obviously as a as a long-term effect is uh, is different to the instant gratification kind of effect all right. So, so five years ago, you, you gained all this weight or I guess starting five years ago, uh, for, for about 18 months, then what, what happened? What, what did you look at? What did you look for? What motivated you to, to turn it around? Yeah, well, I was over that point, over that couple of years, I, um, I developed clinical depression and anxiety and, um, and yeah, that was like life was a real struggle for me. It wasn't just about getting fat. It was uh, it was about my total uh, outlook on life and my emotional and mental health. And uh, and yeah, I got to the point where 
uh, every day at some point during the day I would, at, for me at the time, it felt like for no reason I would break down and start crying. And, uh, and I, would, I would go and find uh, you know, a bathroom or something or a private spot by myself to do that. So nobody in my life knew that was happening, including my wife. And uh, yeah, one, one particular day, uh, it was a beautiful sunny day, um, and, and I went for a walk with my little boy who was uh, near, uh, he must have been just two years old at that point in time. So we went for a walk to the playground, to our local playground, and um, on the way, like, we walked past the lake, the sunlight was dancing off the water and all these beautiful things, and it just couldn't have been a more perfect day. And, uh, and halfway there, so the dog's just come up to me and uh, said, said hello. <laughs> yeah, halfway, halfway there, uh, I, I just had one of these moments and, and, uh, and I broke down and started crying and I felt the tears coming, but there was no, nowhere I could go and hide like I had been. So uh, I ended up sitting on the side of the path uh, having a cry and, uh, you know, total strangers walking past who suddenly knew more about about my life than my wife did, or at least that part of my of my life. And uh, you know, I had my little two-year-old son sitting on my lap, wiping my tears away, and uh, you know, telling me not to be sad. And yeah, I had that that uh, that thought at the time that you know my two-year-old son was doing a better job of looking after me than I was. Hmm. And uh, anyway, I, I I picked myself up, dusted myself off, and we went to the park. We had a good play and. He had a good time, and uh, on the way home, I was uh, I was thinking about my time as a teacher, and I've been a teacher for a long time, and I'm thinking about how every time I have the parent-teacher interviews night, it's always the same. The parents, uh, so the kids are just like their parents. It's always the same, and it's very very rare that I've ever met uh, children and their parents when they're not really alike in lots of ways, and that hit me like a ton of bricks because I, I suddenly thought to myself that. You know, no matter what I do to try to be the best dad that I can be, my boy's going to end up like me, and uh, and there's nothing I can do about it. And that was really, really scary for me because, you know, the last thing I wanted for my boy was to be, you know, a fat, depressed mess. <laughs> so, uh, so at that point, I decided I needed to do something about it, and uh, and it was it was different that time because it was for him rather than for me. So, but I still didn't get the plan right because I did. I did a month of, uh, you know, green smoothies, salads, all these kinds of things, and I was at getting up early to exercise, and uh, and it went really well for a month, and then I went back to my old, uh, my old way of going. Well, this has been great for a month. I've done well. I deserve a slice of pizza. And mm. so, okay. of course, that yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah I'm curious. Did, did did you then after that uh, incident in the park? Did you then? talk to your wife about what had been going on or were you still sort of just you, your son who maybe wasn't going to be that articulate about it and a bunch of strangers? Yeah, yeah no, my, to be clear, my wife knew I was depressed. Um, she knew I'd seen, I'd, I'd had help for that and, uh, and I'd seen doctors and psychologists and that. She just didn't know about the crying part. She didn't know mm. quite how bad it was, I guess. She, she mm. knew that it was, you know, depression's not good and she, so she knew that was going on but she just, didn't know how bad it was but yeah I did actually that day I told her what had been happening and uh and actually no I didn't I didn't tell her the full story I did tell her that I had 
um, broken down and cried that day, but I didn't tell her that it had been happening every day. I told her that later on. Mm-hmm. And um, right. yeah, I was, I was ashamed of it, you know. <laughs> I, was, I was trying to be, you know, the typical big, tough, manly man. Nothing can affect me. I'm bulletproof, all that sort of thing, which is quite common amongst men. That, right. was, that was what right. I was trying to do. And, uh, and also you were, and, you, were, you, know, you were doing solo sports. You, you didn't have the experience of a, of a team or a crew or, or needing, yeah. ne- needing a community to lean on. Yeah, yeah. I did actually play some Australian football after I finished kayaking. I did play some Australian football in a team, but even within that team environment, I was I was a bit of a loner, you know. I, I did have friends and stuff, but as far as the football team goes, I never really um, got into that that sort of team aspect. I didn't really, uh, yeah, I didn't really. I wasn't a. I was a good team player in as far as being on the field, but off the field, I sort of kept to myself. I didn't really get how that all worked. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. So, do you have a sense of what the depression was about? I mean, we certainly, you know, we've talked about lack of sleep, which can be <clears throat> incredibly debilitating on so many levels. Talked about your yep. diet. Was that it, or were there other aspects of your life that just felt like they were off track? Yeah, it was it was a combination of those things. Obviously, um, yeah, diet plays a big role in in depression, and uh, yeah, it was it was also just. I think the, the a big thing, at least, was that I just was uh, I was getting so far away from the person that that I I should be. You know, I like I've like we've talked about. I grew up this elite athlete. I was um, I was always. Uh, interested in conversation with people and um you know i was i was a friendly guy and i was usually pretty fun to be around and all that and i was just drifting further and further away from um from the person that i i knew that i was and that i well that i knew that i used to be i should say and that i should be and uh yeah it was sort of um maybe uh there was a an internal sort of clash going on between uh between yeah that that person that i should be compared to the person that i was and uh i'm struggling to find the right words to describe that but but yeah there was uh sort of an incongruence going on Uh and uh yeah it was uh yeah maybe an internal debate kind of thing happening all the time and yeah just sort of that that side of things wore me down as well yeah, because I'm reading I'm reading a book um, called Atomic Habits by James Clear, and one one of the points he makes is that every one of our actions is like a vote for the type of person we want to be. And it's, you know, when I hear your story through that lens, it's almost like you know a, a political candidate who has like the best platform but can't get anyone to vote for them. It's like you know, sort of pie yeah. in the sky, pie in the sky, like. It was you just weren't voting for your for for the person you should be and had been. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good way to put it. Yeah, that's I was definitely um, I was I was living totally out of alignment with my own values, I guess, and I, I was not voting for the person I want to be. That's a really good way to put it. Yeah, definitely that that sums me up at that point in time. I think. All right. Uh, so you you did a good month. It sounds amazing. Smoothies, salads, early exercise. What happened during that month before you then went back? 
Yeah, well, that that was a really good month. Um, I I didn't. I was scared of the scales at that point in time, so I don't know what I weighed, but I could definitely feel that I was losing weight. My fitness was starting to come back. I was not like, you know, I'd gone from being very an elite athlete to being super unfit to uh, to being able to in one month I was able to run without stopping for an hour so that was quite good hmm. and uh and I was starting to feel confident in the way things were going and uh yeah I was I felt like I was on the right path and I didn't I didn't yet have the feeling that I would be able to get back to being you know thin and all that I wasn't super confident saying in, in thinking that this is going to work I've got it all figured out but it definitely felt like a step in the right direction for sure. Right. Well, did you have any role models of people who had reversed the ob- the kind of obesity that you were facing? Yeah, I I wasn't like super into role models. I wasn't someone that could like um you know, take inspiration from other people that sort of thing, but I I had before that point in time I had listened to Josh Lejoni on Rich Roll and you mm. know, a couple of the other people that had been on like Adam Sud had been on Rich Roll and you know so there were people like that that had done it before so I knew that if other people could do it then it can be done but I hadn't really um I hadn't you know followed those guys on Facebook or you know watched them on YouTube or whatever all these places you can connect with them I hadn't tried to connect with anyone or really try to get go deep in finding out how they had done it you know if I had a if I, I loved listening to Josh on on Rich, but I guess maybe I didn't pay enough attention because I didn't uh, I didn't really understand the mental side of things that which is obviously now I get that that's the main thing like getting the mental getting the mentality right is is the main thing. Without that, you nothing else will work. But um, yeah, I, I loved listening to his story, but it just didn't sink in the way it should have. Well, I was like, hold on a second. All of a sudden you throw in that you were listening to the Rich Roll podcast. Like I had I had imagined you as sort of, you know, uh, you know, on this island on the other side of the world, <laughs> sort of cut off from good advice. Like, how did you like no, was, Rich Roll? How did, to your, how did you discover your podcast? too? <laughs> But how did you, well, I mean, where did, where did that come from? How did you get interested in, in these two really sort of counter mainstream voices? Yeah, well, yeah, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I was, I've been at this point, well, at that point in time, I had been vegan for 10 years already. Oh. Um, <laughs> and so, but, but I was, I got into veganism uh, from an ethics point of view. I didn't like, you know, the way the animals are treated and the way uh, the environment's affected and all of that. And, uh, and I went vegan actually before Facebook. Um, I, I was, for the first six years uh, that I was vegan, my wife was the only other vegan I had ever met. Um, and and uh, so from that point of view, I was like, I need, I need to, you know, have some sort of vegan influence in my life outside, um, just me and my wife. So that was how I got onto, uh, you know, reading books was the, the initial way. So I read, um, you know, the China study and I read, you know, I was knowledgeable, you know, I read, I read all these books. I read Proteinaholic. I got, I got onto you from reading, um, Whole by T. Colin Campbell and Proteinaholic and, and I read Rich's book and, um, and I got into podcasts from, um, listening to Rich and then listening to you when you started as well. 
And, um, and that was rich, especially it was interesting to me having been an elite athlete before, you know, when, when I first went vegan, I didn't know that there were vegan athletes and, um, you know, I, I didn't, I wasn't really trying to be a, um, you know, an elite athlete anymore. So I wasn't really bothered by whether or not I had the potential to be that. I just wanted to do something that was ethically sound. And, uh, and yeah, it was really interesting for me to start learning about vegan athletes and start thinking that, you know, in my deluded mind that maybe I could become a, <laughs> a, uh, a vegan athlete the way I was eating. But, uh, but yeah, that was, that was it for me. So, uh, yeah, that was how I got into those things. And yeah, again, I just, I loved listening to them, but I never really, um, I never really got that it was a mental game more than, uh, just a simple choosing the right. Well, it is, I guess it is a simple thing to choose the right foods, but there is a, a psychology behind that, that I never really, uh, embraced. So, so then you went, you went back after your good month, then, then what happened? Yeah, well, I, I, I deserved a pizza, you know, I deserved, well, not a pizza, I deserved a slice of pizza. Um, and of course, home delivered pizza doesn't come by the slice. So I had to <laughs> order a whole pizza. <laughs> and, uh, but you got, you got yeah. it vegan? Yeah, 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 I got a, got a vegan pizza. With with full of cheese and all the um the fake meats and everything and uh, all the vegan meats, um you know all that unhealthy vegan stuff and and I had that one slice of pizza and then I sat down to watch a movie and you know sure enough that little voice in the back of my head was saying you know just have one more slice is not going to hurt you've had a whole month two slices of pizza in a month is okay it's not going to hurt so just have it so I did I went and had the other slice and. Um, and then I, you know, then the thought came back half an hour later that, you know, there are, you can't, you can't just throw the pizza out now. You know, there are starving children in Africa. You can't waste food. So, so you better just eat the whole pizza. And, uh, and of course I ate the whole pizza and then I followed it up with ice cream and soft drink and, and, uh, and I promised myself that I would get up extra early and do a huge training session the next day and I would get back on the healthy eating wagon and, of course, none of that happened. And so the following afternoon, I was feeling sorry for myself and I was feeling like a total failure. And, you know, why can't I do this moderation thing that everyone talks about? You know, everything in moderation. I just, I can't just have one slice of pizza. And, you know, I felt like it just a complete failure. And I was really, um, you know, in a, in a downward spiral. And uh, so I thought, you know, I just, I just decided to have a beer that afternoon as well. And, so I went to the fridge and grabbed a beer, and, uh, and as I went back to the couch and sat down and cracked the beer, I just suddenly made this connection that uh, the way I had been treating food is the way an alcoholic would treat alcohol. Hmm. You know, we've, all heard, we've all probably had friends or family members that have been alcoholics and they've quit drinking for you know, a, a few weeks or a few months or even a few years, and then they get to a point where, you know, maybe it's someone's wedding and they go, oh, this is a special occasion. I'll just have one beer today and then I'll go back to being sober tomorrow. And of course, for an alcoholic, that one beer inevitably turns into full-blown alcoholism. And, uh, and yeah, I suddenly had, as I cracked that one beer, I, I suddenly had made that connection that I was basically treating food exactly the same way. So, uh, yeah, that was initially a very depressing thought because, you know, an alcoholic can quit alcohol, but, uh, you know, a food addict can't quit food. So that, that, 
initially brought me down thinking, oh, well, there's nothing I can do about it. I'm stuck with it. And then I started thinking, well, maybe rather than just quitting food entirely, maybe I could quit certain food groups. Like, or maybe I could quit sugar or maybe I could quit, um, you know, all these other options. And then I thought, you know, I wonder how close I could get to actually quitting food entirely and then and try to try to follow that that abstinence model that an alcoholic or a heroin addict or whatever would have to follow um so yeah i picked up my laptop and i started i did a google search for what is the perfect food for humans or something along those lines and a video by dr john mcdougall came up where he's discussing potatoes and how great they are and how different uh societies throughout history have, have lived on close enough to only potatoes and you know, there's a lot of great information packed into this short video that I watched. And, uh, and that sent me down a rabbit hole, basically. And I, I spent the next six weeks doing a lot of research, reading a lot of um, published peer-reviewed uh, articles and, you know, watching online lectures from uh, nutrition scientists and doctors and reading books. Um, I read Proteinaholic during that time, actually. And, and uh, yeah, it was... It was a big deal for me. I spent hours every day on this and, and then, yeah, after six weeks of exhaustive research, I figured that, yeah, this, this abstinence model could be done. And if I was going to do it, then potatoes would be the choice. So yeah, that was, that was the way it worked out. What did your wife think? (laughs) She was really good, actually. She was, so this, this end of this six weeks was by coincidence. It was, it was three days until, new year's day and yeah so i decided i would start on new year's day because you know as you know if you if you've ever done diets they don't start until monday Uh, (laughs) and so (laughs) so for me that that was new year's day since it was close and at that point in time i was thinking i would just do it for a month or two and i told my wife that i wanted to do a month or two of only potatoes and yeah she i told her that i'd done all that research and she just trusted me she was um she was fine with it. And the only thing she said was that just for her peace of mind, she wanted me to see a doctor and get some testing done just to make sure things were okay. And if I did that, then she would just fully support me. And so, yeah, that's what we did. And, um, and yeah, then with her support, it, it made it, uh, you know, a lot easier to decide to do it. Mm. And then in that couple of days that I was waiting for the 1st of January before I started, then I, I had this weird idea that maybe rather than a month or two, maybe uh, if I'm starting on the 1st of January, maybe I should just go for the whole year and see what happens. And so, yeah, there's no justification for me for as far as doing the whole year goes. Um, but it, other than it just seemed like an interesting thing to try. <laughs> so when you um, got, got went to a doctor, was the only biometric that was of concern your weight or were there other conditions as well? Uh, no, he, he took full blood work and he did a full medical checkup. Uh, so the, the, my cholesterol was high, uh, not like, not, you're going to have a heart attack soon kind of high, but it was higher than it should be. Um, my blood sugars were high, um, similar thing, not pre-diabetic or anything, but you know, if it was in the next couple of years, bad things were going to start happening. And, uh, and yeah, so those were the main things we kept an eye on, but, uh, really it was, it was mostly just about making sure that other areas were not, you know, dropping away. I wasn't going to get deficient in 
whatever you might get deficient in. So that that was the main concern. And the doctor that I saw was whole food plant-based himself, and he was a big Dr. McDougall fan already. So he was already convinced of the, the power of potatoes, whether or not you could live on them for a whole year. He wasn't so sure, but he was he was happy to help me and happy to supervise me. And um, and yeah, so that was uh, that was good. So so as you were going through the six weeks and the three days, um, I mean, we're, first of all, I would be worried about like how on earth are you going to make potatoes palatable for a year? So did you come up with kind of rules or, or strategies for that? Yeah, well, my, my, one of the realizations that I had was uh, that basically every decision I'd ever made around food to that point in my life had led me to the point where I was, where I was morbidly obese and, 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 and what, my life. How, how, how much did so, you weigh at that point? I was 152 kilos, which is about 336 pounds, I think. Gotcha. Okay, sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, so I just, I just had this realization that basically I can't be trusted with food. And I sort of figured that every impulse or every idea that I had of how I wanted to eat and when and what I should eat, I should basically do the opposite. That was what I <laughs> well, that was one of the conclusions I came to because, you know, every decision I made was well intentioned. I always every time I ate a cookie, it was, for some reason I made I was able to convince myself that eating that cookie was a good idea, you know? Uh-huh. So if I if I thought eating a certain way was a good idea, I just couldn't trust that because it was it turned out that it, it had been hundred percent wrong forever. So um, from that point of view I figured that if if I was eating um, to get pleasure or comfort or emotional support, as I did every day after work, I had a bad day and I needed some sort of food to make my day better. Um, if, if that's what I was doing with food, then I needed to make an effort to make that impossible, basically. So, you know, if, if, uh, if my food was not super palatable, it was not interesting at all, then it wouldn't give me... Um, entertainment. It wouldn't give me emotional support and comfort. It would just be fuel. It would literally just be fuel because um, it wouldn't do any of those other things that my my emotional state wanted from it. So uh, yeah, that was that was the first requirement. And um, and when I was planning on doing like a month or two, I was going to do just plain, literally just plain boiled potatoes, and that was it. But I was scared of doing a whole year, so I did allow myself a little bit um, just to, to help me get through. And that was, I decided if I'm going to do a whole year, I'm going to need a little bit of extra help. So I thought if on occasion, if I need it, then I can add some uh, dried herbs and spices, some salt and pepper, maybe some um, ketchup or tomato sauce or something like that. But in very very small quantities, just enough to give it a little bit of flavour every now and then, just to uh, stop me going completely insane. But the idea was to, as much as possible, just eat plain potatoes. Gotcha. So as uh, I want to come back to the beginning of it, as the year progressed, did you find you you spiced it up more or less? Actually, uh. yeah, yeah. In in the beginning, I like the first two weeks were really really hard, and I in that first couple of weeks, I used flavour more than I wanted to because it was like the hardest thing I'd ever done. And, uh, and yeah, I just, I found myself, um, just adding some sauce or some spices 
more often than I had planned. But as the year went on, um, yeah, definitely decreased. And in the last six months, most of what I ate was just um, plain cold boiled potatoes. I'd just cook them one night, put them in the fridge overnight, and the next day I would just pick them up and eat them like an apple. And that was most of what I ate in the last six months. Uh, uh, so I want to get I want to get to that. But I'm, the other thing I'm really curious about is as you're in the ramp up period, were you thinking about how public you were going to make this and wh- whether this was going to be, you know, quote unquote, like a a publicity stunt as well as something just for yourself? Yeah, that, that was interesting, too. This was only ever intended to be something for me. It was it was all I ever thought of. It was just it was just an experiment for me. And I honestly thought that it was the most boring thing a person could do. I didn't imagine that anyone else would be interested in following a guy that ate only potatoes. Like, what could be more boring than that? <laughs> um, so the reason that came about was that before I was starting, and this was my wife's idea in the end, was that she suggested that I keep a diary, that you know, every day at the end of the day I write down how the day has gone, write down how my thoughts have been so that I could keep a track of you know, my progress and see how things have changed. And she wanted me to be able to go back at the end of the year and read how it had gone. And, um, and I thought that was a really good idea, but I had tried journaling in the past and I had always failed at it. And I, my response to that was, yeah, that's a really good idea, but I feel like I've got enough on my plate with, uh, pardon the pun with, uh, with trying to do this potato thing to then try to also adopt this other new habit of trying to journal as well. I just felt like I wouldn't be able to do it. And, and then she, she suggested, well, okay, what about at the end of each day, you just get your phone out and talk to it for a few minutes and record a little video and you treat that as your journaling. That'd be a bit easier. And I, I thought, yeah, that would be easier. I could do that. But the problem I'm going to have is I'll, I'll run out of storage very quickly. So I don't know what, what I'm going to do with all that video after 365 days. I don't know where I'm going to store it all. And she said, oh, we'll just upload it to YouTube then and store it there. And, um, <laughs> and I, was, I was like, I don't, yeah, that, that's a good idea. But, um, you know, I don't really want to share this story with, you know, the whole world. And she said, she was like, come on, no one's going to watch it. It doesn't matter. Just put it on video, put it on YouTube and, <laughs> and that'll be that. So I did it. And, and uh, yeah, over the month of January, I think I maybe had... I did videos not every day, but most days, and I think I maybe had 50 total views over all of my videos for January, and then uh, somehow, yeah, a journalist found it and called me up to interview me on, uh, on a Sunday afternoon, so I, I did an interview on the phone with a journalist and just thought that was a bit weird, why does he care, I don't really understand why there's an interest from a journalist, but he was from one of Australia's biggest news websites. Um, and yeah, so I did that interview and then later that night, Sunday night, it was published on this big news website and I just, I didn't really think much of it. I just thought, oh, that was, that was funny. Like some guy wants to talk to me about potatoes. It, that was, that was funny, whatever. I didn't think about it. And then I woke up the next morning to yeah, about 400 emails in my inbox from all around the world. And, uh, and I was, yeah, the next two weeks were just the craziest two weeks of my life. I, I just I hardly slept because I was up at all hours of the night doing interviews with TV stations, radio stations, websites, newspapers from all around the world. Um, and I was on mainstream TV in the morning and at night on all cha- all the major channels here in Australia. 
um, yeah, it was totally nuts. That was a, a crazy two weeks and not at all what I expected. <laughs> so do you have a sense of what they were interested in in that point? Like, you know, how much weight you had, had lost and like why, why this was newsworthy? Yeah, well, at that point in time, it, that was after one month and I had lost 10 kilos, which is a bit over 20 pounds, which is quite good weight loss. But, you know, plenty of people have lost that amount of weight in a month before. So it wasn't it wasn't, uh, you know, ridiculous, unheard of weight loss. I think the main thing was really I was just uh, I was just a freak show. Um, you know, the, no, everybody thinks at that point, well, I think most people still think that um, potatoes make you fat. So suddenly there was this story about um, someone who was eating potatoes and losing weight. And, um, yeah, so that was that side of things. It was just what, you know, this confusion that, hang on, potatoes should be making you fat, but they're making this guy thin. And then, yeah, like I said, the other side of it was that I was I was a bit of a freak show and people love a freak show of a guy that's just decided to eat only potatoes. That's that's pretty weird. And basically people wanted to laugh at me, I think. And, um, and yeah, that's really all it was in the beginning. But it was it was really interesting to see how that media coverage sort of evolved over the course of the year as well. So you know, things really changed as it went on. Yeah, what were the emails saying that first day? Those 400 emails, what, what, what types of uh, things was, were you hearing about? Uh, it was just, it was all just media people that just wanted to interview me and ask me about my potato diet and yeah, that was really what it was and then um, as the media coverage got bigger and bigger, then I started getting a lot of emails from people who wanted advice as well and you know, I was, I was sort of lucky in the way that um, I think I presented reasonably well in the media and I, I got my point across pretty well. Um, there were... Like I said, I was a freak show and people just wanted to laugh at me, but it gave me the, a platform where I was able to share an important message about food addiction. And um, yeah, a lot of the interviews were, they started off just making jokes. And then by the end of a few minutes, they were really interested in what I was doing and really, um, you know, sort of as much as you could in just a few minutes, they, they were understanding of what I was doing and why I was doing it. And I think uh, the viewers of all those things, a lot of people, resonated with what I was saying and um, uh, then I started yeah over the next well the rest of the year really I started getting emails every day from from people who um, resonated with my story and wanted help and advice and that sort of thing too. Hmm. Yeah well you say you were talking about the message of food addiction but you you weren't doing like Overeaters Anonymous or were, were did at some point did you get criticism or blowback from the uh food addiction community because you're doing things you know differently than than they recommend yeah i did well when i started i i honestly didn't even know that those things existed i probably would have given that a try if i knew but i just i knew obviously i knew that alcoholics anonymous existed but that was um that was i thought that's where it ended i didn't know there was an overeaters anonymous and i didn't bother trying to find out either i just assumed that it didn't exist so um yeah, but yeah, I did. I did get some blowback from from all sorts of people, and that was one of them. I got some people, um, yeah, telling me that I was. I got people from all walks of life telling me that I was an idiot, and but I also got people from all walks of life telling me that I'd inspired them and helped them see, um, you know, that their relationship with food was disordered and um, that they needed to focus on that rather than constantly just trying to lose weight. So um, I figured that it was worth taking a hit with. Um, as far as getting criticism in order to be able to reach some people that it might help. Yeah. <laughs> now at, th at this time you were, you were a teacher. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I was, I, at, 
Uh, at that point in time, I'd been a teacher for 14 or 15 years, yeah. Uh-huh. So it sounds like this became a whole nother job, like being being the guy who eats potatoes and being the guy who goes on media talking about eating potatoes. Did that kind of you know interfere with the rest of your life? Yeah, yeah, it did. It became, yeah, very much like a second full-time job. And, uh, and I was... Every spare moment, I was answering emails or answering um, Facebook comments or questions, and you know, I really, um, I, I didn't. I, when I started, I really felt like I was the only person in the world because I didn't bother trying to, like I said, research other groups of people who were addicted to food. It was just I thought it was something I'd come up with on my own that food addiction was a thing, and um, you know, I thought I was. I felt like the only person in the world that couldn't do this mythical moderation idea, and. Um, and I, I just had no idea that there were so many other people out there that were experiencing similar um, relationship with food sort of ideas to what I had. And, um, yeah, once I started hearing from all these people, I felt like I just I couldn't I couldn't not answer anyone that was asking me. I just couldn't um, if I if there was a possibility that I would be able to share some of my experience and help these people, I just couldn't um, just let that slip. So I, I spent every spare moment I had on, on answering emails and answering questions and trying to, trying to help people. Yeah. Uh, do you think that helped you stay consistent and motivated and committed for the year? No, I get asked that. I've been asked that a lot and I don't, I honestly don't think it, it made um, much difference at all. Cause that, that first couple of weeks, if, if that was happening in the first couple of weeks, it would have helped because that was the hard time. But Really, once I got through that first couple of weeks, I things had dramatically shifted in my mind to the point where it really just felt like I just got in a groove and it was smooth sailing from that point on. So by the time the media coverage hit, I was in a groove and I knew what I was doing and nothing was going to, you know, nothing was going to affect my resolve or change the way I was doing things. Um, so... Did, yeah, it was it was nice to be able to help people. I really enjoyed being able to help people and being able to you know provide some guidance and a, and a different voice and all that sort of stuff. But from my personal point of view, I don't think it really made a difference to whether I was going to succeed in that year or not. Gotcha. So I mean, well, I'm struck by the fact that the previous times you had gone on a diet, it sounds like it was really easy for the first few weeks, and then it became impossible. And this sounds like it was almost the exact opposite. You had a really hard first couple of weeks and then it got easier. Was there, was there a point at which you were surprised at how, how easy it had become? Yeah. Well, I think the difference was that in every other diet I tried, I was still um, searching for that entertainment, comfort, emotional support for my food. I was just searching for those things from different kinds of food rather than Rather than um, forgoing those things entirely from a from a food point of view, um, the, every other diet I tried wasn't focused on my psychology. It was focused on weight loss. But I made a conscious decision in this one to forget about weight loss and just focus on changing, you know, my relationship with food and stop using it for um, for comfort, enjoyment, and emotional support. Um, so yeah, it was as far to answer your question. It was. Um, I think around two weeks in was when, you know, I was, I was, I had one day where I was, or maybe it was two days in a row where I was like, I was just the thought of potatoes literally made me gag. I was, I was like, I've had enough of this. I can't eat potatoes anymore. 
um, and I, I don't think I can do it. But um, every time I had that feeling, I just I just went and got a potato and, and I told myself that, you know, this is – if I – stopping this diet is what the old me would have done. Um, I would have had that feeling. I know potatoes are not bad for me despite this this feeling of nausea <laughs> at the idea of eating potatoes. I know they're not going to hurt me. So, um, you know, every decision I've ever made with food was bad and this is something I want to do is quit. So that is obviously bad because, you know, every decision I've ever made is bad, so I'm not going to quit. And I just <laughs> decided to – I would just go and eat a potato and – and I was always surprised that when I put it in my mouth and chewed, it, it, I was, suddenly didn't feel bad anymore. I didn't feel like I was gagging or anything. I just swallowed it and it wasn't fun. But, um, but you know, it didn't make me want to vomit or anything like that. It just, I just ate it and moved on. And I went through that for a day or two and then, uh, then I was past it. And it, didn't, it was just it was a big shift happened where, you know, they didn't make me feel nauseous anymore. They didn't, there was not this idea that I couldn't stand the sight of them anymore. It was just, they were just fuel. It was just, if I'm going to eat, I'm going to eat that and, you know, just move on. It was like, yeah, it was a big shift in that couple of days. And so, yeah, from, from two, maybe two and a half weeks onwards, it was, um, I just saw food totally differently to what I had before and in the rest of my life. Wow. I'm I'm fascinated by that, that story because to me, there's, there's a big, um, theme of, of trust and self-trust, where you said you started this this um, journey with the, you know, the potato journey by acknowledging that every decision you'd ever made around food had been a bad one. So it starts from this place of extreme lack of self-trust. And then you get to a place where your body is literally telling you that potatoes are bad for you, or something is telling you that, and it feels like your body. And you don't listen. And yeah. Event, and, and then, and like, did you, I don't know, I'm just, I'm just really curious about how, how, whether you trust yourself now around food or whether that started to change. Yeah, well, that was what it was all about. I just, I could, I would just repeat to myself over and over in those first few weeks that, you know, I've done the research. I know that this is a healthy thing to do. I didn't know how how healthy it would be psychologically, but I knew from a physical point of view, I'd done the research and I knew it was healthy. And, you know, if if millions of people could, from Ireland, for example, could survive on close enough to only potatoes, there's no reason why I would be any different. So this this feeling of nausea when I thought about potatoes was, well, bad luck. If it makes you feel sick, bad luck because, you know, feeling feeling this nausea is is not as bad as... uh, you know, what I was feeling before as far as, you know, the depression and all that sort of stuff. So, uh-huh. um, yeah, I just, I just had this mantra, just trust the process. I've done the research. I know things are healthy. Trust the process. Keep going. And, yeah, also this, this idea I just can't be trusted with food, that I just can't trust myself. Whatever I tell myself, I just can't trust it. I've just got to keep going and follow this plan that I'd set out and, and not allow um, any deviations at all. So, uh, yeah, that was, that was the way it worked out. And yeah, I do, I, I do feel totally different around food these days and I do trust myself and, um, you know, I don't, I, every, I do have like fleeting moments where I walk past a cake shop or a donut shop or whatever and, and 
have that fleeting moment where I think, oh, that'd be nice. I'd like to eat one of them. Um, but <laughs> I've got the um, I've got the mental tools and skills now to just squash that instantly. Whereas before, if I walked past the cake shop, I might have resisted, but the thought would have stayed in my head for the rest of the day and probably the next day as well. And until I went back to that shop and got the cake that I'd been thinking about for the last few days. Mm. Um, but yeah, these days, like I said, the thought still arises, but I can squash it very quickly and not think about it anymore. So where did that skill set and set of mental tools come from? Was it something that, that arose organically through a year of potatoes or was it something that you found somewhere else or developed or, you know, on yeah, your own? It really just arose organically through that first two weeks. It was just, it was, it was really mental warfare that first couple of weeks for me that I just, that I, this idea that I need to stop looking for, um, you know, enjoyment, comfort, emotional support from food. And, um, yeah, so there were just sort of things that, that came up. Uh, I don't know how they came up, but I was watching The Matrix one night and there's a scene in The Matrix where, um, where Neo gets in the car with Trinity near the start and, um, and instantly the guys, you know, they pull a gun on him and they get this machine out that's going to get a bug on him and there's uh, get a bug out of him, sorry. And, um, you know, he's freaking out. There's all this stuff's happening too quickly and he says, stop the car. And, and they stop the car and he opens the door and you look down this long, dark, um, rainy, depressing laneway and he goes to get out of the car and Trinity grabs his hand and says, trust me, Neo. And Neo says, why? And she says, because you've been down that road before, you know where it leads and I know that's not where you want to be. And when I watched that scene, I was like, that is me, you know, whenever I have these thoughts that, you know, potato, you can't do this potato thing anymore. You've got to try something else. No, you've been down that road before. You know where it leads. You know that it leads to the, you know, back to depression and weight gain. You've got a rich data bank of history from throughout your life that shows that if you take that one bite of something just to take the edge off the cravings, then it's going to lead back to weight gain and you know, food addiction, all that, you know, that's going to happen. So just don't, don't take that chance. And, um, yeah, that, that was a big thing for me. And, you know, I developed some other strategies as well, but really it all just happened organically in that, in that first couple of weeks. Hmm. Um, and, and yeah, it was really, I think three quarters of, or maybe even 90% of what I wanted to achieve from this experiment was really done in that first couple of weeks. And, uh, yeah, from then on, it was it was just uh, just completing something that I said I would complete was a was a big thing as well because I think I could have I really could have stopped after a month I think and it, my my attitude to food wouldn't have would have um, continued on the way it was um, but it was also that idea that I said I'm going to do something and I'm going to do it for the first time in who knows how long. All right, so it sounds like the mindset of a marathon kayaker. Well, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good, good point. Um, yeah, it was, it was really just, yeah, I've got this thing that I'm going to do and I'm just going to push on and do it. And, uh, and yeah, probably since my, my athlete days was probably the last time that I had, had done something that I said I would do. And, uh, and yeah, it felt good to be succeeding for, uh, for the first time in a long time. So yeah. Right. Yeah. Now, I mean, the, the, it sounds like the, the wins, and the shifts were all internal, a little bit subtle to describe. Um, 
but and you weren't concerned about weight gain, but rather the psychology and your relationship with food and what it could and couldn't do for you. But of course, the world is interested in before and after pictures. At, yeah. at, at what point did your freak show story become inspiring enough that other people were really noticing and looking to you as, as an inspiration or a guide or a guru? Yeah, well, that before and after thing, again, I've got my wife to thank for that because I, I, was, I didn't want to, like I said, I didn't want this to be about weight loss. I was really intent on this is not a weight loss thing. This is a this food addiction thing. This is trying to treat my addiction the same way an alcoholic would treat their addiction. And, and when an alcoholic quits alcohol, they're not paying attention to what the numbers on the scales are, so there's no reason why I should. And, and I didn't want to weigh myself at all. And I didn't want to take before and after photos or do any of that because that sort of stuff was irrelevant to an alcoholic. Um, so, but my wife, again, she said, no, you need to do it. You need to take the photos. You need to weigh yourself just so that you've, you've got a, a record of what's been going on. So, um, yeah, I agreed on that. And I'm glad I did because um, not because it, it helped me psychologically, but because it, it, it made it more relevant to the general public and it, gave me more of a platform because like you said the the public and the media are interested in that sort of stuff so uh yeah that was how that came about and and really uh so i had three times where a four times sorry where i got major media coverage one was that where i where it first broke the second one was when i hit six months um and then that was a point where people like the media interviews really changed at that six month mark where they were people were going, oh, hang on, this is working. Let's get a little bit more into why this is actually and how this is working and, you know, what is it? Instead of saying potatoes are fat, this is ridiculous, uh, potatoes make you fat, sorry, this is ridiculous, they would start asking, well, what is it about potatoes that is helping you do this and what is it about your mentality that is, you know, helping you to be successful? And it was still, um, there were still jokes and that sort of thing, but, uh, yeah, that was the six-month mark interviews were really when it changed uh, significantly. And then uh, there was another another lot when I, I decided to start a Facebook group that people could join if they wanted to do it as well, and that got some attention. So I got, there was another round of interviews. And, uh, and then, I, of course, there was a, a lot of coverage when I finished as well, um, when I completed my year. And, uh, and yeah, it was, it was just really interesting to see the media – the way the media changed and also like every time there was a story on me, there was always, they needed to get an expert opinion on it. And you know, the, that was the most interesting bit because in the beginning of the year, the experts were, were all saying, Oh, this is crazy. This guy's an idiot. His, all these deficiencies are going to happen. He's going to not get enough protein. And I got, people said I was going to give myself cancer and scurvy and all these sorts of other crazy things. (laughs) And, um, and then by the end of the year, the experts, or the, the best thing they had well, was, oh, that's, uh, that's a bit too boring. Uh-huh. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> so, a bit little, you know, obviously they didn't understand that boredom was the point for me. So, <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. That's, yeah, that's what I have in my notes to ask you about is it's very clear from talking to you that this is all about mindset, but on the surface and in a uh, soundbite media driven visual world it's all about potatoes right did you did yeah, you have yeah. trouble kind of guiding people to the point 
Yes, I did, and I still do. Um, you know, that's that's the, my biggest trouble. And you know, this is this is sort of this is my business now. It's I'm trying to help people get over food addiction, and and without fail, everyone that comes to me, um, the the first thing they say is um, is I want to lose weight, and I love potatoes, so help me lose weight. And and then I've got to. Um, my first reply is always yes, no problem. I can help you do that. Um, and and I. I don't want to just jump down people's throat and say, you know, well, that's the wrong attitude. You've got to do it differently. I, I sort of, you know, try to try to ease people into that way of thinking and, you know, try to embrace their enthusiasm initially that they love potatoes. That's great. They want to lose weight. That's great. And, um, and let's let's use that to get started. And then once we've started and things are moving along, then I'll start talking about the psychology behind it and, uh, and how, you know, potatoes will help you lose weight no doubt about it. If you do a, potato, a period of time on potatoes only, they will help you lose weight. I've seen it too many times to say that there are some people that it's not going to work for or whatever. It works for everybody. It's going to help you lose weight. But if you don't deal with the psychology behind the food choices that you make, then potatoes only is just going to be like every other diet and it's going to help you lose weight until you go back to your other way of eating and then you'll just put weight on. So, you know, they're not a magic um, pill that's going to solve all your problems. They're just they're a, they're a vehicle that um, allows you to sort of take some time off from food, from some time off from making food decisions and, and just uh, do the inner work that needs to be done and uh, change the way that you think about and behave about around food and uh, you really sort of, yeah, just, just change your, your psychology behind the decisions that you make around food and, um, yeah, then, then once that's taken care of, then you can think about adding in some other whole plant foods. But yeah, really, yeah, it's that, that communicating that aspect of it was and still is and I think always will be uh, my biggest challenge, yeah. Right. Although, to be fair, you didn't figure that out without the help of two weeks of potatoes. No, that's right. That's right. So um, I don't blame people for coming to me and you know, wanting help with weight loss, which, cause that's, if, if someone else had done this, I would have seen it and gone, yeah, I need help. Help me lose weight. I would, I would have had the same um, reaction. So yeah, I don't blame people for that at all. But, um, but I also, I want people to understand that it's, it's not about weight loss. You know, the numbers on the scales, um, increased because of your behavior and your choices. You, you, you get yourself into that mess because of your behavior and the only thing that's going to get you out of that mess is the behavior. So we need to, we need to focus on the behavior, not the, the numbers on the scales. The numbers on the scales change because of the behavior. So, you know, focus on the process and the results will take care of themselves. That's, that's what it's all about. Right. So when you began or, you know, as, as, as you practiced eating nothing but potatoes and you came from a place of simply not trusting any decision. Did you have trouble trusting when you were hungry or when you should eat? Did you like think, okay, I'm going to eat this many calories because you've been doing all this research. And I, so I know that that's, you know, 7.4 pounds of potatoes a day or whatever, or were you just going ad libitum whenever you felt like it? Yeah, exactly. I, I figured that, um, yeah, like you said, my, my decision-making around food was totally, all wrong forever. So I figured there was no point trying to figure out um, any of my signals. It's just my rule. I had three rules. The first rule was doctor supervision. Second rule was eat as much as I feel like whenever I feel like. 
And the third rule was, like we talked about earlier, adding a little bit of flavor if I need it through dried herbs and spices or sauces. Um, but yeah, it really was literally just eat as much as I feel like whenever I feel like it. And, um, and yeah, I had in the, in the beginning, I had days where I ate just heaps and heaps and heaps. And I didn't even, I didn't even worry about if it was a binge or not, or, you know, I get lots of messages and I had the same thoughts about, you know, is this the right type of hunger? Am I actually hungry, hungry or am I bored or whatever? I figured that if, um, if I was not getting comfort, enjoyment, and emotional support from my food choices, then I would naturally um, move away from that need to binge eat or um, you know eat to try to make me feel happy or whatever that is. I would um, you know if so. Your brain says, let's say you, there's a subconscious part of your brain that says you've had a bad day at work. Um, what you need to make you feel better is some food, and then I go, okay, I'll eat a potato. <laughs> so I've done that and then and then that subconscious part of your brain goes hang on that didn't work we didn't that nothing happened there so then the next day it goes same thing you eat a potato again and then same thing there's no reaction your brain's not getting that dopamine hit that it was looking for and um just it just seemed to me that it would be natural that if your brain's looking for a dopamine hit and you and it thinks it's going to get it from eating, and then you eat, and the dopamine hit doesn't come, then that's going to naturally just change on its own without me having to um, consciously think about um, whether I'm hungry or whether it's the right time to eat or all of that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I figured that would just evolve on its own as as my subconscious figured out that food is not the place we get excitement from anymore. <laughs> so did you spend a year in a severe dopamine deficiency or did you find other places to, to get your hit? Yeah, well, I have, I, in, again, in that first couple of weeks, I came up with this, uh, with this saying and that's make your food boring and your life interesting. <laughs> um, and that's, that, that idea was that, um, yeah, the, your food doesn't have to – you do need a dopamine hit. You do need these feel-good hormones shooting off in your brain. You do need fireworks in your brain from time to time. But they don't have to come from food. You need a – you know, if, if you're feeling bored or you're feeling depressed or you're feeling like you've had a bad day at work, you don't need to eat something interesting to make it better. You need to do something interesting. So that was really what it was all about for me. So when I, you know, when I felt like you know, I've had a bad day at work um, – rather than going to eat some chocolate cake, I would go and find my little boy and wrestle with him. And because he loves his favorite thing at that point in time, and probably still is actually, his favorite thing was to wrestle with me. And um, he calls it rough time. I want some rough time, dad. So I'd go and find him. We'd have some rough time. And, uh, and you know, he'd be, he'd be laughing his head off and, you know, jumping around like a crazy kid. And you know, how could you, how could you not have these feel good dopamine, um, you know, hormone hits, flowing through your brain when you've got your little boy jumping around like a crazy kid and laughing and carrying on like so that was my go-to thing or you know as the as the year progressed I started exercising as well and um you know that was a dopamine hit if you go out for a good long hard exercise or training session then you know that makes you feel good or I started um you know if I was feeling that that I needed something then I would um just google bad jokes and I would just yeah <laughs> and, and then I would go, I'd find a bad joke, the worst one I could find, you know, like the jokes that come out of the, um, the Christmas, what are those things called? Pom-pom, uh, you know, where you 
crack open the Christmas thing and there's always a bad joke in there. <laughs> I was, um, I would find those sort of jokes on Google and then go and tell my wife and, uh, just you know, little things like that. There was all sorts of things I did. I would, maybe I'd try to find some comedy on YouTube and watch that or whatever. There's a million things that I did and there's a million things that other people could do that would be different to what I did. But yeah, it was all about doing something interesting rather than eating something interesting. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So you had been following Ritual. You'd been listening to Plant Yourself. You'd read Proteinaholic. Now you were doing this thing. You were getting all this attention. When when did you start connecting with people? Not in this in the vegan community, but the you know whole food, plant based health community. Yeah, that that was after the media coverage was really when I started connecting with people. I, I was like I said, I was I was vegan already, so I had some vegan friends, but you know they were they were not super health conscious. They were, you know, they were all healthy people, but they weren't in it for health. Um, so yeah, once the, once the, uh, the media coverage happened, then I just started getting a lot of messages from, like I said, from people that wanted help, but also people saying, you know, thank you for, I've been trying to tell people that potatoes are healthy for such a long time. So thank you for showing people that they're healthy and all of this. And through that, then I started connecting with, some of these people that wrote to me that happened to live close to me as well. And, uh, and, you know, then we would, I would start to go to meet up groups for, um, for whole food plant-based eaters. And, uh, and, you know, they would, uh, you know, they would, there'd be a potluck lunch or something and I would just turn up with my potatoes and they would all eat their other healthy plant foods and we'd just have a good chat or whatever. Um, and I started getting invited to events to speak as well. Um, so yeah, there was, various sort of ways where I got to connect with people and and now obviously it's a big part of my life and I I have a few friends that eat in a similar way to what I do and and that helps and makes things easier as well and and yeah I've met a lot of great people at a lot of the events that I've been to as well so yeah life is very different to what it was. (laughs) Cool well there's a lot more questions I have for you and I think I want to save them for another conversation if you'd be willing to to come back. Yeah, anytime, anytime. I'm, I'm uh, having a little bit of a fanboy moment here myself, so uh, <laughs> I'm happy to come back and, uh, and do it again. <laughs> awesome. So tell, before you go, tell us what you're up to, because I, uh, um, I know about your, your cookbook project, which uh, was an amazing way to connect, I think, literally hundreds of people to, uh, to get them to, to share recipes or, or thoughts like what, how can, you know, for yeah. people who are struggling with what you struggle with or people who know people who are struggling, uh, what are you up to and how can they find you? Yeah, well, that's, that's my main thing at the moment is a, a few weeks ago, we released this new book. It's called Spud Fit, a whole food potato based guide to eating and living. And, and yeah, that was really cool. And I, I, over the last couple of years, I've had so many people ask me to do a cookbook and, and my my response was always, but I'm not a cook. I don't really cook. <laughs> I just I just eat potatoes and I, I cook as simply as possible, so that I can't really make a cookbook. And then I just had this idea that, you know, over this last couple of years, I've met a lot of people who really can cook. So maybe I'll ask them to help me make a cookbook. So we did that, and we've got 93 different people have contributed their favourite potato whole food potato based recipe. And, and there are also a few people like yourself who eat in a similar way to me very simply and didn't want to uh, contribute a recipe. And so that's, well, yourself and, uh, and Doug Lyle are the, the main ones there that have contributed um, really 
thoughtful and helpful essays on uh, how to make uh, how to make this lifestyle work from a from a habit change and psychology point of view. So, and of course, there's a lot of writing in there for me. I didn't actually contribute a single recipe to my own book. <laughs> I, my uh, my contribution is all in in writing about um, you know, the the science behind why this works and the psychology behind it as well. And uh, and you know, I've had help from from 93 of my closest personal friends. <laughs> awesome. You, 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 didn't, so, you, you didn't contribute the recipe of boil potatoes and put them in the fridge? <laughs> <laughs> no, I thought that was a little bit too simple, but I did talk about that I, that I did that sort of thing. And, um, yeah, my favorite recipe in there uh, is actually, well, my favorite food-based recipe, my favorite overall recipe is actually yours, the, the recipe for uh, for 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 making this stick i can't remember what your recipe is called off the top of my head but it was all about how to make this lifestyle stick um oh it was a recipe for enjoyment of the humble potato or something along those lines but anyway that was my actual favorite recipe but my favorite food-based recipe is uh is josh lajani's recipe and it was the deconstructed potato salad uh and i won't explain that but you'll have to buy the book to uh (laughs) to see what that is but it's it's right up my alley anyway. So great. So should people get yeah. it from Amazon or from your website? What helps you the most? Uh, from my website helps me the most, but it is on Amazon for Kindle as well. So if you if you use uh, Kindle, then probably Amazon's the best way to get it because that's you're going to get the right file type to use for Kindle, and and otherwise you get a PDF through my website spudfit.com and that can be uploaded to uh, to your kindle device anyway it just uh just looks a little bit different but it still works really well mm-hmm. and uh and it works in ibooks and all that sort of stuff too so yeah at the moment it's just an ebook because i basically i don't have enough money to do a print run it's uh it's pretty expensive so we're hoping to sell a few ebooks to be able to pl- pay for a print run and get hardcover books co- coming as well we'll see how that goes great and you you don't have any publishers knocking on your door to to defray all those costs or yeah, I do. I, I did get offered a couple of publishing deals, but they didn't like the uh, the deal that we had for all of the contributors in the book. They wanted me to basically go back on what I agreed to with all the contributors, and I didn't want to do that. So we ended up self-publishing instead of going with a publisher. So um, yeah, next time maybe we'll get it properly published. We'll see. <laughs> gotcha. And what else can people find on spudfit.com? Uh, so there's uh, I have an online program which basically is uh, it's 28 uh, lessons in 28 days uh, about how to do your own SpudFit challenge. If you want to do a, a potato only time, this uh, it goes through basically everything I've learned is is laid out in a series of 28 videos and there's worksheets and um, and exercises for people to do that will really help people to understand their own psychology and the mindset behind the food choices they make um so yeah i'm really really proud of that um that's and a lot of people have gone through that and you know had life-changing experiences so that's the thing that i'm i'm most proud of is that course and that's the same thing on my website and there's also another short book that i wrote which is just about it's called the diy spud fit challenge and that's a similar idea to the course that i've made is is, is just um, a guide for how to do your own potato only challenge and um, and how to work on the psychology behind your food choices. So, yeah, they're they're the main things that I've got on the website there, as well as there are oh, there's a whole lot of blog posts on there and podcasts and things like that as well. There's a lot of um, free stuff on there too to help people if uh, if they don't want to pay for it, that's fine. They can get the free stuff too. 
Great. I, I encourage people to pay for it. Uh, to get yeah, the free yeah, stuff I'd, and pay for it, because you know, I mean, as as someone who's in the same, you know, on the same racket as you, and like it's you know, it's free to give away a PDF, and yet if we if we want to keep doing it, we need we need to get paid, right? It's yeah, just, it's I, simply I, I not agree, su- yeah. it's simply not sustainable for us to suffer. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, I, if nobody pays for it, I simply just can't do what I'm doing. I have to find another way to make my money and that takes up my time and then I can't keep doing what I do. So, yeah, obviously I want people to, to pay for it if they can. Uh, you know, if, if, if they can't, then that's OK with me, too. I, I don't want people to miss out because they can't afford it. But uh, but yeah, anyway, I, right. I'd rather I'd rather people pay. And it's, it is cheap what I offer. It's very cheap. So I think most people can afford it. And uh, and besides that, you'll save money on potatoes anyway. They're cheap. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. People are people are willing to spend a lot more on food than they are on fixing their problem with food. Yeah, I get I get a lot of emails from people say, I want to do your program, but I can't afford it, so I'm not going to. And my first instinct is to say, well, you know, how much do you spend on food in a day? You'll probably save the money that it costs for my course. You'll probably save that in one day of your food bill. But I don't know. I can't. I don't feel. <laughs> I can't say that to people. So uh, yeah, that's. I just uh, say okay, no problem. <laughs> I, I kind of disagree. I kind. I kind of think you can. Yeah, well, maybe I should. Maybe I should. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm just trying to be too polite. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my my first thing is you know like oh well then I'll just give it to you for free and then you know in, in my long experience in giving things away for free it almost never works like yeah well yeah people are not invested when they get it for free yeah they it doesn't uh it doesn't seem to have the same meaning to them i get that i guess i've just got to work on my own mindset in this sort of area as well now (laughs) (laughs) yeah we all we all do because we all we all come to this from a place of of really wanting to help others and it's uh it's challenging to set some boundaries so that we can do it sustainably. Yeah, well, that's sort of something I'm battling with in myself at the moment is that, yeah, my, my number one uh, motivation here is that I want to help people. But my number two is that I've also got bills to pay. And if I can't pay my bills, then I'm not going to be able to do number one, you know? <laughs> right. So, yeah. So, right. yeah, it's, uh, that's, a, that's an ongoing um, mental well, battle for me at the well, moment, too. Well, you know, it's, this, it's, it's kind of the same thing as a cookie. Cause, it is. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> you know, saying yes in the moment to something that's bad for the long term feels good in the moment. Like the person's yeah, yeah. going to write back and they're going to go, oh, you're so generous. You're such a wonderful person. And, you know, if you say, well, no, I really need to get paid for this, they're going to be like, ah, what a stingy asshole. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that's actually this is this has been a helpful couple of minutes for me. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> oh, sure, anytime. I'm I'm saying it for myself as much as for you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, one. Sure. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, sorry, no, you, you go. One final question is who came up with the name Spudfit, which is so good. Uh, that that was me. Actually, it took me a, a while. I'm 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 actually quite creative with coming up with names and stuff. But this was one thing that I really had trouble with coming up with a good name for what I was doing. And it actually, I, I sort of cheated. There's, I don't know if you follow a guy on YouTube called Potato Strong, Will Krisky. Uh-huh, yeah. He's, he's, he's in the book as well now, actually. But I couldn't come up with a name. And in the end, I looked at his channel and I was like, I really like Potato Strong. Um, perhaps I'll just come up with two different words for those <laughs> same things. So potato, I changed, I changed potato to spud and I changed strong to fit. 
and I just thought I'll just do that. That was that was the best I could come up with. <laughs> oh, it's brilliant, and it's uh, yeah. it's only seven letters, which is a great URL. Yeah, yeah. Well, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't really put a. I put a. I shouldn't say I didn't put a lot of thought into it. I did put a heap of thought into it, but I couldn't come up with anything worth that I liked until until I had that sort of thought process. So, yeah, and it has been a, a good, um, catchy sort of name. It worked out well. <laughs> cool. Well, Spudfit. <laughs> Do people call you that? <laughs> or do they? Yeah, yeah. They. I, I get Spudfit a lot. Well, not a lot, but. And during that year, I got a lot when I'd be walking down the street and someone would recognize me from the news or something. But these days, it probably happens once a month or something. Someone recognizes mm-hmm. me and I'll, like, you know, a car will speed past and I'll hear Spudfit out the window. Oh, no. so, so like your friends <laughs> yeah. and family don't call you Spudfit now? Oh, no, no. My no. friends and family just every now and then I get Potato Guy, but most of the time it's, uh, it's just Andrew, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Very good. Well, Andrew, thank you so much. It's such a great story, and you tell it so well, and you have you've really deconstructed uh, addiction in a way that I hadn't heard before. And I think it's so it's so clear, and it gives people such uh, such you know a, a recipe, a great a great way out without having to be broken or wrong or constantly you know, under, under the pressure of, of, uh, competing impulses. So I'm, I'm so thrilled at the work you're doing. I'm thrilled to be a part of it. And I am just excited to see where life takes you next. Yeah. Thank you so much. And, uh, yeah, it's really, uh, kind of you to say all those nice things because I I think, uh, a lot of those same things about the work that you do. So, um, yeah, it's always it's always humbling to have people that you look up to, such as yourself, to to say that I'm doing a good job. So um, thanks for the encouragement, and thank you for having me on your show. And uh, and yeah, keep doing what you do too. All right, it's a deal. <laughs> <laughs> All right, All right I'll, I'll catch you later. All right, thanks, and uh, spot up. All right, bye. All right, dear listener, there you have it. Andrew Spudfit Taylor and his quest to become a better person through simplicity and focus. So what's your simplicity and focus goal for 2019? What's one thing that you can do on a daily basis that's not glamorous, that's not exciting, that's not amazing, but still can simplify your life and help you get closer? What's a 1% improvement you can make in your life? You don't have to go changing everything like Andrew did. But one thing done consistently can make that kind of a difference. Ah, So if you enjoyed this episode of the Plant Yourself podcast and you'd like to support our mission, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, as I asked before. Also, if you're interested in improving your health, Well Start Health is really ramping up. We've got new cohorts running uh, pretty much on a monthly basis now. So if you're interested, just check out wellstarthealth.com slash program. You can apply and we'll get you in as soon as the next cohort starts running. There's no exciting garden news this week, but in running news, I just completed my slowest 50K ever. Came in a little after five hours and 40 minutes. Uh, That was on Saturday. I'm recording this on Monday and I'm feeling pretty good. There's something to be said for not racing full out. If you want to have a productive week ahead of you, I'm heading up to uh, New Jersey, New York area to grab some testimonials and meet with a bunch of people, including, I hope, Dr. Sarai Stansek, whose film Code Blue, the documentary, 
just came out and is now being released in film festivals and special showings. So if you have a chance, if it's uh, showing in an area near you, you should definitely go check it out. And you can find out more at Code Blue Doc, that's D-O-C. Unclear whether it's doctor or documentary, a little bit of mystery and ambiguity there. Anyway, CodeBlueDoc.com, you can check out if there are going to be any screenings near you in the near future. All right, big thanks, of course, to Will Ridenauer for allowing him to use his beautiful song, Sabali Don, The Dance of Peace. Check out willridenauer.com for more of his gorgeous chorus music. And, of course, thanks to all of you Plant Yourself podcast patrons. Here we go. Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Marrow, Barbara Whitney, Tanny Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hathaway, Mary Jane Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Burns, Christine Nielsen, Tina Sharp, Tina Ahern, Jen Volkanovsky, David Weisig, Mysterious, Michelle X, Elspeth Feldman, Victoria Dolan, Manola, Leia Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Andrew, Josina, Julianne Rowland, Stu Dolan, Zolnick, Sarah Durkis, Rumpus Circus, Kelly Cameron, Wayne Pedersen, Leanne Peterson, Janet Selby, Claire Adams, Tom Franzek, Jeanette Bedden, Gil Lesser, David Donahue, Blair Cyber, Dorona Vizov, Gio and Carol Argentati, Jody Friesen, Ruth Ann Funderburg, Misha Rosen, Michael Warbeck, the equally mysterious Tracy. Z, Alicia Lemus, Rebecca Hughes. Val Lineman rhymes with cinnamon. Nick Harper, Stephanie Holmes, Martha Bergner, Nicole Ramsey, Susan Ahmad, Molly Levine, the inscrutable Harry R., Susan Laverty, the Panda Vegan, Craig Kovac, Adam Sharp, Karen Burry, Heather Morgan, Lishley Corker, and Kelly Machia, Deanne Norton, Bonnie Lynch, Plant Happy Oregon, Sabina Kurtzels, Nigel Davies, Marion Blum, Teresa Coble, Shaw, Ruth Julian Watkins, Reed O'Connell, Brian Sheridan, Shannon Hirschman, Kate Rosalind, Dai Yad, Julie Lang, Holma Hedegaard, Isa Tusen, Wakani, Hayline, Aaron Greer, Alicia Davis, Lil Heather O'Connor, Carolyn Jensen, Cherry Orkoski, Plant Power for Health, Karen Smith, Scott Marani, Karen Joe Crabtree, Tanya Lewis, Kirby Burton, Teresa Carell, Tevin McCauley, Elizabeth Roth, child Kelly Baker Miracle and Jesse Cheryl Dwyer generally Jenny Hazelton Valerie Peltier Peter W. Evans Colleen Harrison Justine Divot Joshua Summermeyer Dennis Bird Darby Kelly Lori Penny Linnea Lundquist Valerie Humble Devin Casilla Emily Iaconelli Levy Wallach Rosamund McAtee Dan Corny Stephen Leland Patty DiMartino Mike and Donna Cards Deanne Bishop Bill Gray Elf Gunter Schmidt Marjorie Lewis Kelly Molden Trisha Adams Lee Ian Kramer Nancy Shelton Lindsay Bayshore Gunn Marit and Tracy Gulledge for your generous support of the podcast. That's it for this week. As always, be well, my friend. Time for thanks. Thanks to Will Ridenauer for allowing me to use his beautiful song, Sabali Don, The Dance of Peace. You can find more of Will's music at his website, willridenauer.com. And of course, thanks to all of you Plant Yourself podcast patrons. Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Marrow, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hatherley, Mary Jean Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Barons, Christine Nielsen, Tina Sharp, Tina Ahern, Jen Filkonofsky, David Vizek, The Mysterious, Michelle X, Elspeth Feldman, Leia Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Andrews, Josina, Sarah Durkis, Rhymes with Circus, Kelly Cameron, Wayne Pedersen, Janet Selby, Kara Adams, Tom Fronsek, Jeanette Benham, Gil Assert, David Donahue, Blair Cyborg, Toronto Vizo, Gio and Carol Argitati, Jody Friesner, Ruth Ann Funderburg, Misha Rosen, Michael Warbeck. The equally mysterious Tracy Z of Eva Lael, Alicia Lemus, Rebecca Hughes, Val Lineman, Rhymes with Cinnamon, Nick Harper, and Martha Bergner, Susan Amon, Molly Levine, the inscrutable Harry R., Susan Laverty, the Panda, Vegan, Craig Kovic, Adam Scharf, Karen Burry, Heather Morgan, Kelly Machia, Deanne Norton, Bonnie Lynch, Plant Happy Oregon, Sabina Kurtzels, Nigel Davies, Marion Blum, Teresa Copel, Julian Watkins, Breed O'Connell, Shannon, Hirsch, Shannon Hirschman, Linda Ayat, Holm Hedegaard, Isa Tuzumakani, Hayline, Aaron Greer, Alicia Davis... 
Heather O'Connor, Carolyn Jensen, Sherry Olakoski of Plant Power for Health, Karen Smith, Scott Marani, Karen and Joe Crabtree, Tanya Lewis, Kirby Burton, Teresa Carell, Kevin McCauley, Elizabeth Rothschild, and Jesse, Cheryl Dwyer, Jenny Hazelton, Valerie Peltier, Peter W. Evans, Colleen Harrison, Justine Divitt, Joshua Summermeyer, Dennis Bird, Darmy Kelly, Laurie Fanny, Linnea Lundquist, Valerie Hummel, Emily Iaconelli, Levy Wallach, Rosamund McEntee, Dan McCorney, Stephen Lehman. Petty D. Martino, Mike and Donna Cartson, Deanne Bishop, Bill Brielf, Gunter Schmidt, Marjorie Lewis, Kelly Molden, Trisha Adams, Ian Kramer, Nancy Sheldon, Lindsay Bashford, Gunmarie Hagen, Tracy Gullich, Laura Heaton, Meg for Mama Says, Rochelle Kennedy, Diana Goldman, Stacey Stokes, Ben Savage, Michael Kay, Holly Butler, Diana, David Hughes, Connie Rogers, Claire England, Sally Robertson, Parham Ganchi, Amy Daly, Brian Tourville, Mark Jeffrey Johnson, Josie Dempsey, Karen Schmidt. Pamela Hayden, Emily Perryman, Olga Sidoroska, Allison Corbett, Richard Stone, Lauren Vaught, Abedable Musings, Aaron Hasty, Sean Owen, Sagar Nayak, Erica Piedra, and Danielle Roberts for your generous support of the podcast. That's it for today. As always, be well, my friends. <laughs>